So don't raise your hand, but, but how many of you like scary movies? How many of you like to be entertained and, 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 and you like things to jump out and to scare you and you love that edge of your seat thriller kind of experience? Uh, I hate it. Uh, I don't watch scary movies. I don't like them. Um, I deal enough with the uh, disappointments and the ugliness of life sometimes, and so uh, I don't need any more of that in my life. Um, but sociologists tell us that, um, that every generation will have its prototypical villain or its prototypical monster, and, and all of the disappointment and all the fear is sort of projected onto this like genre of monsters. And so when I was growing up, it was the, the slasher guys, you know, think Freddy, think Jason, uh, Michael Myers, you know, these guys uh, had knives that were way too long and they scared everybody. Um, they, we went through a season where vampires were a thing, um, think Twilight series. Um, now we're projecting our fears on zombies. Um, it's, it's, zombies are kind of thing, like, and it's sort of out of control. You know, they've adapted a Jane Austen story to include zombies. Okay, at that point, this is, this is out of control, but, but somebody figured out they could make some money over it, uh, out of it. So, so now uh, you can watch Pride and Prejudice along with zombies in it. Um, it it's kind of a thing. Um, there is a show that is entering its 11th and final season. Uh, it premieres sometime uh, soon, and you might be a fan of it. Uh, it's called The Walking Dead. And I just want to preface with what I'm. I just want to preface what I'm saying by saying I've never seen an episode of The Walking Dead. It's just, it's just not my thing. Oh, actually, let me take that back. Turned the TV on the other day, and I think I was watching The Walking Dead. Uh, actually, it was the Cubs game. That's that's what it was. That was the, uh, that's sort of what the Cubs feel like right now. They they feel like. Um, uh, just a team full of zombies out there. They're moving and walking around, but they are dead. Let me tell you, they are dead. Um, but I won't tell you a lot about The Walking Dead today. I've never seen an episode. I'll just say it's about zombies, like lots and lots of zombies. And I don't know how you end up making 11 seasons of fully alive people being chased by undead people Somehow you can stretch that out to 11 seasons. If you wanted to binge watch the whole series, it would be 159 hours of zombies chasing people. And so have at that. Uh, if you don't have a job, uh, feel, free, feel free to do that. Um, hopefully I'm talking you out of the show. Um, but I only bring it up to say that the Bible describes death in three different ways. In fact, the Bible describes humanity apart from God, and it sort of describes us like zombies. We're up, we're walking around, we're moving, we're going to work, but spiritually we're dead. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins. It's by grace you've been saved. And so what Paul is saying is, we're, we're, apart from Christ, apart from the, the grace of God, we're dead. We're not able to do anything. We're just, we're just up and we're walking around and we're moving and breathing and going to work. And, but inside, spiritually, we're, we're, we're dead. We're dead in our, our sins. And this is one of three ways the Bible talks about death. There's, there's physical death, 
And we all will experience that. The, the, the government, did, they paid a bunch of money, and uh, they did a big study, and they found that the mortality rate is 100%. It's crazy. It's crazy. Everybody's going to taste physical death. Uh, but then there's, there's also uh, eternal death. And this is when, we, when, we, when our life is over and we enter into eternity apart from a relationship with Jesus, and we're eternally separated from God. So there's physical death, there's eternal death, but I think primarily the Scripture is talking about spiritual death or spiritual deadness. When, when we are dead in our sin, when we're walking around like zombies, unresponsive to the things of God, and what grace does, this grace of God, this unmerited favor, is grace awakens us to what God is doing. While we're dead, when we're spiritually dead, when we're not able to, to do the things of God or, or to, to be connected to God's plan and his mission for our life, when we're unable to do that in our sin, God pursues us by his grace. What we're calling today seeking grace or a, a even more specific theological term is called provenient grace. And it simply is this. Provenient grace is grace that goes before. It's grace that precedes our conversion to Christianity or our decision to follow Jesus. It's grace that goes before. It's an amazing thread that runs throughout the story of, of the Bible. We see people responding to God's grace, this grace that was at work in their life long before they made a, moment, they made a decision to follow Jesus. Let me tell you some things about provenient grace because we believe in this activity of God before our conversion, that's at work among all people in all places at all times, we believe God is already at work even before we know God is at work. We believe that God is wooing a person even before they arrive at a point of conversion. We believe that we don't wake up desiring God. We're a zombie. We don't, we don't wake up to this on our own, but that God is activating a desire in us before we know or understand who God is. We believe something about Christian mission. We believe that Christians don't take Jesus to non-believers, but that Jesus is already there. And that's important for a tradition like ours. We have a very rich history of sending missionaries. It's a very rich history. I'm extremely proud of it. But what we need to know about the, the missionaries that have been sent by the Church of Nazarene, when they show up in the deepest, darkest, jungle of whatever country, they were not bringing Jesus to these people. Provenient grace says Jesus has been at work there before the foundation of the earth. Jesus has been at work in these people's lives, wooing them to himself. The job of the missionary was to be obedient and show up and, and, and help people understand the fullness of what God has been doing in their life. And, and that's true not only of missionaries we sent all around the world, but that's true of us when we go into our offices. It's true of us when we walk across the street. You're not bringing Jesus to someone. You are showing up and participating in what Jesus has already been doing in their life. And because of that, this final thing I'll say about provenient grace, we believe that discipleship precedes our conversion that God is somehow forming us to be a people long before we make a decision to follow Jesus. 
If we want to think about the, the moment where we decide to follow Jesus, if we want to think about that as a finish line, um, God is at work way before that moment leading us to that point. And so I think some, we, need to, we need to not think about following Jesus as a finishing line. We need to think of it as a starting point, as a starting block. God is at work forming us to be a people, and we make a decision to follow Jesus, and that process of formation continues. Because one of the things you're going to hear throughout this series is something that we're deeply committed to about salvation. It is not a static reality. It is not a one-and-done reality. It is a dynamic reality. It is a journey. There is a, there is a dynamic to this grace that, that what God is doing in your life today is wonderful and it's good, but he's going, he wants to continue that tomorrow. You can be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today. And that begins with this prevenient, seeking grace of God. In the first service, we dedicated a baby. We dedicated Logan Comer. And, and, and Adam and Kelsey, they stood before the congregation. They said, we want our baby to know Jesus. And it was a great illustration of prevenient grace. This baby that we got to hold and that we got to sing, Jesus loves me too. God is at work in the life of that baby. And what dedication is, it is the people of God saying, we believe in provenient grace. We believe that there's going to be a moment where all of this provenient grace, all of these relationships, all of this wooing of God is going to culminate with this, this young, young child becoming a follower of Jesus. So that's what we hope for Logan. Let me tell you how that hope was realized in the life of a man named Cornelius. So you can read his story over in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a high-ranking centurion, and he had converted to Judaism. And he was probably born into some kind of Roman emperor cult, Roman god-type situation. And he converted from that to embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a practicing Jew, but he was not ethnically a Jew. And Cornelius has a dream, and in this dream, God gives him very specific instructions. God says to Cornelius, I want you to go to send people to Caesarea. There's a guy there named Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon, and I want you to invite Peter into your house. You need to hear what Peter's preaching. You need to hear what Peter is all about. And it's a, it's a crazy dream. It's a very specific dream. Uh, my dreams are a little more abstract than that. This was a very concrete, specific dream that Cornelius had. And so he wakes up to find himself at a crossroads. Am I going to respond to this thing that God is doing in my life, or am I going to ignore it? And provenient grace, the way it works in our life, it, it, it finds us at the crossroads. How many of you are at a crossroads right now? You're faced with two, maybe three, maybe four options. You're, there's, a, there's something that's happened. Maybe it's traumatic. And you find yourself at a crossroads. You have a decision to make. Provenient grace finds us in those places. And it is there to awaken us, for us to open our eyes to what God's been doing all along. So here's Cornelius at the crossroads, and he responds positively to what God's doing. And so he sends them in to Peter. And while the men are on their way to see Peter, Peter has a dream. He's up on the roof, 
and uh, Luke doesn't tell us, you know, uh, why he's up there. I think he's working on his tan. Who knows? He's hanging out at the beach down there in Caesarea, up on the roof of Simon's house, and he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees heaven, and a sheet is being, is being lowered from heaven. And as the sheet is lowered, it unfolds, and in the sheet are all kinds of different animals. The Bible tells us birds and reptiles included in this host of animals that are in the sheet. Now, if you're a, a God-fearing Jewish person, categorizing animals is very simple. The, the, the taxonomy of, 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 of categorizing animals is, is a very simple process. There's clean and unclean. There's things we can eat, things we can't eat. Things we can touch, things we can't touch. And what Peter sees in this sheet that's being, lift, that's being lowered from heaven, all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And he hears a voice, and the voice says, get up, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Get up, kill, and eat. Whenever vegetarians make me feel guilty for being a carnivore, I remind them of Acts chapter 10. That, that, that God says, get up, kill, and eat. And if you're a vegetarian, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. Don't force your beliefs on us, please. Get up, kill, and eat. And, 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 Jesus, and, and, and uh, Peter says to the voice, I'm not going to get up and kill and eat, not because I'm a vegetarian, but because I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. I'm a, I'm a God-fearing Jew. I, I would never do that. And the voice says to Peter, do not call anything unclean that I have created. And what God is revealing to Peter in this moment is, is not a, a, a reversal of kosher laws. This is so much more than, than changing Peter's diet or allowing Peter to eat things that are unclean. What God is saying to Peter is, is this, this ethnic barrier that forever has defined the people of God, that barrier is being dissolved. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the promises that were exclusively made to Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your descendants, those promises are now being opened up to the entire world because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So not only are we defining ourselves by what we eat or what we don't eat, we are no longer defining ourselves by who we associate with and who we don't, who we welcome into our fellowship and who we don't. The promise of salvation is for everyone. And so God is, is saying to Peter, this is, this, is, this is now what I'm doing. This ministry that you've had to Jews now needs to be extended to Gentiles as well. People like the ones knocking on your door right now. The men from Cornelius, they show up. Peter's had this experience with the Lord. They say to Peter, there's a guy. His name's Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He wants to hear what you have to say. So you see, Cornelius was curious. And that's something prevenient grace does in our life. It awakens, it produces a curiosity. There's something inside of us that says, I, I need to know more. I want to experience this at a deeper level. I, I want to know more about what, what God is, is doing. And how many of us have had that experience? How many of us have had that experience where we become curious? 
We're asking questions. We're, we're leaning in like we never have before. You see, when we're at the crossroads of life, God comes to us and he begins to woo us to himself and he creates this holy curiosity within us that makes us want to learn more. So Peter, he goes. And one of the first things you see in the story is that the barrier between Jew and Gentile is, is falling to the ground. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius welcomes him in. In fact, Cornelius has heard about all the amazing things that God has done through Peter's life. He falls down at Peter's feet, and Peter says, stand up. He says this. He said, I'm a man just like you. We're brothers. We're on the same level. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. I'm a person just like you. I've received grace just like you. And, and there's, there's a line here in the story where Peter says, God does not show favoritism. Peter says, God has revealed to me. He no longer shows, he, do, he does not show favoritism. And this word that's translated favoritism, I mean, it's the equivalent of our word for prejudice. It is, it is Peter saying to Cornelius, God is, is neither prejudiced to or prejudiced for or prejudiced against anyone. He loves everyone and welcomes all unconditionally. And what happens there is a conversation. Peter, Cornelius, they begin to build a relationship. When you're at a crossroads and when you become curious about the things of God, provenient grace always works through a relationship or a companionship with someone else. God will send you someone to have this conversation or maybe God will send you to have the conversation with someone else. It always works best and most beautifully in the context of a relationship. It wasn't too long ago that I got a, a knock on my door. And I'm going to tell you this story because I want to make sure we understand the importance of, of relationships in our, in our life and how we can, be, we can mediate grace through relationships and companionship um, probably better than any other way. I got a knock on my door, and it wasn't the postal delivery person. It wasn't uh, uh, anything we had ordered. It wasn't the person there to spray my lawn uh, or to inspect my house for bugs. That's normally the four people that knock on my door. Um, it was someone from the local church. There's a church not too far from my house, and, um, and I, I want to just qualify this by saying it wasn't, it wasn't Mormon missionaries. Uh, they, they knock on my door a lot. Um, that's produced a lot of interesting conversations. But, but these two folks that had knocked on my door, uh, they were from a, a church that um, I, we have a lot of agreement with. Um, and so I, I said hi to them, and, and they introduced themselves. They said, we're, we're so-and-so. We're from the church down the street. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Mark. It's really nice to meet you. And they said to me, the next thing they said was, well, what, we, what we've come here to talk to you about is um, we have a question to ask you. If you were to die right now and you were to stand before God and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, um, what would you say? And I said, time out, guys, time out. Let me show you how to do this, okay? Because you're not doing it right, okay? That's what I wanted to say. I said, well, what I would tell them is I put my hope and my trust in Jesus. And the scripture says, that is all I need to say. And they said, you're right. And I said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus too. And I told them I was a pastor. And, 
And um, they went on uh, about their, their day. But I watched them go down my street, and they were knocking on everybody's door. And that was the card they were leading with. And what they said was not true. It's not like that's a bad question. It's just that I think we need to have spiritual conversations in the context of a relationship. How many hours are they spending cold calling on strangers on, in my neighborhood when maybe a more effective time would be to think about people that they have relationships with and saying, hey, I heard you're going through something hard. Do you want to have coffee? Do you want to come by? Can we talk about that? Can I mow your lawn for you? Let's make investments of time in people we have relationships with and let's allow our lives to be conduits of, of God's grace in those moments. See, you see, this is what's happening with Peter and Cornelius. There's a relationship there and grace is circulating in that relationship. Now imagine those folks are going to knock on somebody's door and they're going to get into a really spiritual conversation. It's, it's bound to happen, just the law of averages. Not everybody's going to slam the door in their face. And, and so they're going to get into some kind of complex relationship, and it sounds like they've got their, their stuff together, and they're going to have answers to lots of different questions. But I just wonder, how many people are going to, we're going to say, now why are you here? How'd you get here? I mean, how many people are going to say, man, there's people knocking on my door, and I argued and argued and argued and argued with them, and I finally lost the argument. And so here I am. No one's going to say, I lost an argument with Mark Snodgrass. That's how I got to heaven. But maybe what they're going to say is, Bentonville Community Church loved me like nobody else loved me. And they invested time in me. And this person from Bentonville Community Church decided to, to, to do this for me. And they brought me a meal. And they loved me. And they welcomed me. And they allowed my kids to play with them. And no one else did that. But the people from Bentonville Community Church did. And so here I am. That's what I hope people say, because provenient grace works through companionship. And when God opened that door for Peter, look at this very simple message that, that Peter delivered. He had the opportunity. God had teed him up, man, through provenient grace. And when it came time in the conversation, Peter said this, We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross but God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone, listen to this, here's the gospel, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, the name of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ in four verses. Very simply, Peter shared that good news with Cornelius. And what gave Peter that opportunity? What gave him that platform? Years upon years upon years upon years of provenient grace, working in the life of Cornelius. And ultimately, it culminates with Peter having that conversation with him. And what was the response of Cornelius? he began to experience what the Bible calls conviction. Provenient grace leads us to conviction. Heavy word, isn't it? Maybe we bristle a little bit at the, the thought of being under conviction or experiencing conviction. But this is a grace-filled thing that God does in our life where we become aware. 
we become aware of God's plan for our life. We become aware of the good news of Jesus Christ. And conviction is when we recognize my life's over here. My life's on a different trajectory. My values, my, my, my choices are going in a completely different direction. And conviction is where we recognize that. And through the Holy Spirit and through grace, we begin to bring our life into alignment with the ways of God. And so that's what Cornelius recognized. I'm on, a, I'm on a bad trajectory. I'm going in a way that's selfish. I'm going in a way that's all about me. And what Peter is saying is the crucified Jesus has a different way of living. And his life and death and resurrection make a difference in my life. And I want to bring my life into alignment with the ways of God. And so Cornelius responds. He was at a crossroads. He got curious he experienced companionship with Peter. He responded to conviction. And look what God does. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard. Like the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's message. Holy Spirit was like, Peter, that's good. I can take it from here. The Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were. They all became followers of Jesus. Cornelius' story is our story. And it can be our story. It is God moving and working and awakening Cornelius to what he wanted for his life. And how many of us are going through life like a zombie? We're spiritually dead. But what, is, what if God today is, is awakening us? Like Sleeping Beauty opening her eyes for the first time. We've been kissed by grace, and we recognize that there's, there's something out there that God wants for my life. God wants to forgive me of my sins. God wants to give me a new life. God wants to give me a hope and a future, and I see it now. We are now invited to respond, we, to respond to grace. So Paul describes this in the book of Philippians, verse 12, chapter 2. It says, My friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, look at this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says, work out your salvation. God's working this in you. Now you're called to respond and work it out. And that is how we respond to this grace. The heart that is awakened to grace is able to work out what God has worked in. Man, from the moment you drew your first breath, God's working in grace. He's working in grace. He's putting you in situations where you experience grace. And maybe you don't always recognize it. Maybe you're too young to perceive it. Or maybe life is just too busy or it's too crazy. And then you come to a crossroads. And you begin to get curious. And a friend introduces you to Jesus. And, and you come under conviction. It's like your eyes open. Maybe today is your chance to work out what God's been working in. It's your chance to work out what God has been working in. It happens all throughout Scripture. Who moved first, God or Abraham? It was God. 
God said, Abraham, go to a land I'll show you. I'll bless you. But Abraham had to respond. Abraham had to work out what God had worked in. You remember Moses? He was running from his past. He's living in Midian. He'd been ignoring the things of God for most of his life. And then he sees a bush that's burning and it's not consumed. And he goes near and God changes the direction of his life. Who moved first? God moved first. But what did Moses do? He responded. He worked out what God was working in. You know the story of Saul who became Paul, right? He was on his way to Damascus. He was going to persecute the church. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, but he had an encounter with God. God moved first. Paul responded, and Saul became Paul, and Paul worked out what God was working in all throughout the book of Acts. Cornelius, an Ethiopian on his way home in Acts chapter 8, a lady named Lydia in Philippi, on and on and on, people respond to what God is doing and they work out what God is working in. And what about you? What about you today? How would you or, or would you like to respond to what God is doing in your life right now? Would you like to put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus? The Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit is here and he's working in our life. And so I want to ask you to bow your head, to close your eyes. And I want to give you a chance to trust Christ for salvation. I want to give you a chance to respond to this thing that God is doing in your life. I pray that the, this grace of conviction would be present in this place, that we would realize how out of alignment our lives are. And that we would bring our lives through grace into alignment with the ways of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your grace that is at work in our life. Lord, I thank you for this grace that comes before, this grace that's at work in all people, all places, all times. And that includes each of our stories that are represented here today. Lord, I pray for the brother, the sister, the young person. I pray for the, the, the person that's here and they are feeling this movement of grace. They are feeling what you have worked in. I pray that they would work it out. They would respond to this offer of salvation, that they would invite you into their life. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is available to all who put their hope and their trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered and strengthened and equipped to live the life you've called them to live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.